Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from a basement in suburban New York in an apartment in Brooklyn. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Oh, no, it's no longer J.J. From now on, it's Zhao. I wish to be called Zhao. I'm sat here in Brooklyn with a lovely Confidential Tinto Red 2016 wine from Lisbon. I am embracing Portugal, Andrew, with all my being, all my spirit, as are you, I can tell. Yeah, I certainly am. So I guess this means you're turning over a new leaf with Jose Mourinho. This is beautiful. We, yeah. In fact, I, when I bought this wine yesterday for dinner, I was thinking I'm going to go Portuguese and I'm going to do what Jose would do or what he used to do, at least. I wonder, does he still do it? Um, when he was winning a lot of games, he would share a bottle of red with the manager afterwards. And he would always bring a Portuguese Portuguese red, a very fine wine. Mine, of course, was $16. I'm sure Jose's was a few multiples of that. Wait, when you say he would share a bottle with the, you mean yeah. the opposing manager? Yes, yes. That was, uh, that's the tradition. At, uh, it's certainly the tradition at Old Trafford, um, where... Uh, Alex Ferguson always had a, a drink with the manager, the opposing manager afterwards, unless things were particularly fraught. I can't imagine that they shared a drink the time of uh, Luis Suarez refusing to shake the hand of Patrice Evra. Uh, yeah, that sounds like it would be a tense. <laughs> and you, you, you would hate that. Oh my God. That's why you, you'd never do. You never allow such a, such a thing to happen. Even if it is very convivial and very Corinthian in its sporting, uh, in its sportingness, you would never do it because it, I, don't, it, I don't hate that. I think that that's a misrepresentation of, of what I'm about. I, I think I enjoy sportsmanship. I think it's a beautiful part of, of the game of sports in general. Uh, although I always found, so when we were in college, uh, we would go play basketball. And, you know, oftentimes when you're a freshman in college, you would assume that like going to the gym to play basketball would be a potentially good way of meeting new people and kind of making friends, to, you know, to start out. Like, uh, so a couple of us would go and always kind of go with that being the hope. And we would leave just always, always hating yeah. whoever it is we played, no matter what. And these games were nonsense. This wasn't any league. This is pickup. Always left the gym hating the opponent. Sports are, for some people, a moment to show what they are about. And that brings out the D-nozzle in, in everyone. It's so true. Sports do bring out the absolute worst <laughs> in people. Uh, like they did for Barcelona this past week. Oh, my oh my God. We're going to talk about... Uh, the reason we're here on a Monday morning, because this is not, this is not the norm. Um, the results from over the past few days were so stunning that we felt we could not bear to go an extra second into the week without discussing this. Uh, we almost kind of like broke from our vacations that we were each on over the weekend to do a, a, a over the weekend vacation emergency podcast, but we thought we could hold off until Monday morning, which is why we're here super early now. Um, we'll get to the Bayern Munich Barcelona result, or as I've been calling it around my house, the Germany Brazil two result. Uh, and then we'll also talk about the uh, Lyon uh, Manchester City match. In fact, let's do that right now. We'll get to United in the Europa League and that stuff a little bit later on. But let's start with what the people are most interested in discussing, and that is the Champions League. Lyon, 2-1 over Manchester City. 3-1. Oh, I'm sorry, 3-1. <laughs> and I've been, <laughs> I've been going back and forth about this on what 
on what this is like, because the conversation in the wake of this match, JJ, has been all about Pep Guardiola and his decision to break from what Manchester City do uh, and kind of cater his style to what Lyon do. Mm. And so I've been thinking about it and thinking about it. And I guess, I guess what I've kind of landed on, I know that this is not a perfect analogy. There are no perfect analogies. I always say that. Um, but Lyon are seventh in Ligue 1. Right. In a truncated season. In a truncated season. And, and and that is part of it. And I'll mention that in a sec. But for the time being, like the bare bones, most simplistic way of looking at it right now is that Lyon are seventh in Ligue 1. And the Anglo-centric, Anglophile view that we have I've been thinking, okay, so what is what do we equate seventh to in the Premier League? Would you say that's like whoever finishes tenth, eleventh, somewhere around there? Okay. So so basically what I'm saying is would Pep Guardiola go into an FA Cup quarterfinal against Burnley or Everton or a team like that and completely change what he does to cater to that opponent to a Burnley or an Everton? It's ridiculous to even think that he would do something like that. And like I said, I know it's not apples to apples. It I'm really just, isn't. I'm, well, it, but it kind of is, though. You can smugly say that, but it kind of is. Lyon are not having a good season in a league that we do not view on the same plane as the Premier League or La Liga or the Bundesliga. It's just not It's not there. I know I know Ligue 1 are having a moment right now. They've got two of the Final Four in the Champions League, but Lyon has not had a good season. They just haven't. Okay. And so for Pep Guardiola to to cater to a team that is kind of struggling in a league that is inferior to the one he plays in. It just, I, I can't, I almost can't believe it. Yeah. I, I think this was like the, despite the sage people uh, after the game telling us that, you know, that Leon were no mugs and we should have, we should have kind of expected something like this. This was a massive shock. And for me, it was like the perfect mix of, of fear of the opposition and coupled with lack of trust in his own players and that thing that you just can't have, which is missed chances and individual errors. Like Pep said himself, sometimes the difference at this level, or he actually said, and I don't know if he got it wrong just because it was lost in translation or he made a mistake. He said, sometimes the distance is missed chances. And the distance between United, uh, City going to the final and not was a culmination for me of all those things, Andrew. Like he over he overthought this. And and what's interesting is, so he, he changes to this 3-5-2 because he says he didn't want a 2v2 scenario. If he played his usual 4-3-3 with four at the back, he didn't want a 2v2 scenario where Leon's front two would come again, up against his center backs. So he's admitting a weakness in his team and a strength in the opposition, and he made a change. And if you watch City this season, like, say, in the FA Cup semifinal against Arsenal, against Wolves at home, in all these games, you'd say even Chelsea away, which was the clinching game for Liverpool, you'd say, fair enough, you don't want that. Your, your, your centre-backs are weak. But that essentially meant he had five defenders in the side. He it, Because he makes this change, he puts the midfield out of sync, and it didn't matter. None of it mattered because when City went 1-0 behind, what happened, Andrew? It was a ball over the top. So, like, what was the point? Like, what he did did not remedy anything. Like, the goal the goal that Leon scored, when their fullback or their or midfielder, I can't remember who it was, got the ball, 
because I was listening to it on the radio in the car coming back from Delaware. And when you get home, I'm going on a rant here. But when I get home, like CBS have no like way that I can watch the full game back. I couldn't find it. So I'm watching highlights. But whatever. That's a complaint for another day. When the fullback gets it, Andrew, he he's time on the ball and he starts doing this. He's gesticulating, pointing, pointing that he's going to knock it over the top. It was a basic ball compounded by an error by uh, uh, by Garcia and then further compounded by an error by Ederson. And there we are. That is a classic goal that Manchester City concede. And what's happened is he's lost that potency in the midfield, that passing in the midfield, that forward thinking in the midfield, because he's made all these changes against this perceived and real danger of Leon's attack. Two things. Um, one of it, one of which you just touched on, and that is the midfield. So he's so concerned about a potential bad matchup between Leon's strikers and his own central defense, that he's willing to now compromise what the thing that Leon was probably terrified about in their own right, which was Bingo. Manchester City's midfield overwhelming them. Bingo! You've had the nail on the head. Pep has done them when they when they came out and saw the team sheet. I mean, Rudy Garcia and, and his coaching staff at Leon must have looked at each other and thought, oh my God, he's just done us an unbelievable favor. The thing that they were most worried about has now been neutralized by Pep's own doing. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Also, uh, and again, like you said, there's no perfect analogies. But um, when I played, and again, this is this is just a low level. I'm not saying I Come ever... on, don't treat it like that. It's on the same plane, whatever it is. No, it's not. Say. I had a teammate who was a brilliant player, top standard, and... One of his advantages, Andrew, was going against the big teams because we weren't a big team. He didn't know anybody of the opposition. No one. So he never cared. He would go into that game the same way and play his same game because he had no knowledge of the talent that he was coming up against. He was thick. He was stupid. He didn't care. Now, Pep has come up against Leon already and they've taken points off him. So they're, as the kids say, they're already to an extent living rent-free in his head. Yeah. And, and I wonder if, if Pep, and obviously he does preparation, but the stuff I criticize Jurgen Klinsmann for doing, like on three days notice, changing your team round to play three center backs, to play a back three. Like Pep kind of did this. And he said that for the first 15, 20 minutes, in the post-match, he said, for the first 15, 20 minutes, City weren't comfortable, and then we became so comfortable, so comfortable. JJ, the, the fact that you just said that, this is not a visual medium, so the, the listeners can't see, but I wonder if you can read, as I hold my notes up here, the notes that I have. Oh, it's almost... I, I literally wrote... Klinsman. It, I, it almost had the feeling of a Klinsman changing formation now, seemingly out of nowhere in a World Cup quality. Now, here, here's, here's the thing that other much more uh, learned... Commentators have uh, have said they've said um, learned as Homer Simpson would say they said that he he made the you know the tweaks he made again away against Real Madrid that worked out like even though they worked out those tweaks and changes were not good the tweaks and changes that he made even for the second leg worked out but again he was deviating from the plan he was in well, like I, 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 I want to cut you off for one second there and. Um, Again, this is coming off as so disrespectful to Leon, and I don't mean it to be that way. No, it's not. But here's what I would say to you is like, okay, first of all, Manchester City, 
I think is of a level where I wouldn't expect them to change for anybody, maybe with the exception of Bayern Munich. Uh, however, I will give Pep a little bit of leeway in wanting to change something if he's facing the La Liga champion in Real Madrid and right. a team that is seasoned in this competition, uh, as opposed to the team that is currently seventh in league. Oh, like, so even that, like, if people want to talk about him, well, he changed against Real Madrid. Well, that's that's Real Madrid. Like, that makes a little bit more sense. But uh, Kenny Cunningham, the former um, Wimbledon centre-back and football analyst, he went into detail on this, and he said he could still occupy Leon's two centre-forwards in his usual 4-3-3. He said just when one wing-back, or sorry, one full-back goes forward, just tell the other one, just be aware you can't go forward when he does to the same extent because you've got to get back. Now, honestly, I don't think that works either. I just think that there's not enough pace in the center backs. There's not enough cohesion in the center backs in that pep defense that he can play the high line that he does. That is, that is again, crucial to the way that Manchester City play that doesn't leave them susceptible to the long ball. They're always susceptible, Andrew, to that, to that ball in behind. I, I can't get the vision out of my head. This this Leon forward is like, they've game planned for this. He's like, all right, he's pointing, almost like a quarterback who's got time in the pocket, points, and he just clips this ball over the top, and everyone's beaten. Everyone's beaten. Um, but yeah, uh, he didn't need to do this. He really didn't need to do this. That said... Look at the chances City had. Look at the mistakes Ederson made. You know, there's there well, was a way. I mean, Leon basically had two chances, both of which they scored on. I don't even really say that the third goal was a chance. I mean, it was just kind of like it was almost like a back pass to Ederson that he fumbled for Dembele to score the third. Like it was, it wasn't even really a legitimate chance. Leon just took advantage of every opportunity that they had by their by their own doing, though. I, I'll give them credit. Great finish uh, from Cornet on the first goal. He had work to do, even though Ederson was out of position. The the one angle from behind Cornet on that goal, like you see the bend on it, and it's he placed it beautifully. It really, it was it was a, a fine bit of finishing from him. And the second goal. Honestly, personally, I believe that it was a foul. Yeah. Um, I've seen enough other people whose opinions I, I also trust say that they don't think it was. So for me, when you have that kind of split, uh, I'm generally, I'm not going to freak out over it. I understand why Manchester City fans might. As a neutral, I'm not going to freak out over it when you see some who say it was, some who say it wasn't. I'm generally okay with allowing whatever happened on the field to, to stand. Um yeah. Having said that, on a different day, that goal, that goal is not ruled a goal. I mean, it, to me, it looked like there is a clear foul in the buildup. Whether it's accidental or not, it, it impacts play tr- dramatically. Yeah, um, and, and, and we should say that, you know, in terms of the, like the, the changes that they made, I mean, bringing on Moussa Dembele, you know, into the game was, I know he's a very good striker and we know him from his time, particularly at, at Glasgow Celtic and what he can do. Brilliant change to make in the midfield. Like, look, uh, you know, Hasimar had a brilliant game. A uh, Jason Denier, who former Man City guy who seemed to be loaned around the world, had an excellent game. Apart from maybe where he dived in too quickly on the um, on the Sterling um, cutback for the De Bruyne goal. Which, by the way, once you what a brilliant goal that was. What a great City goal that was. When when they score that, 
you think, oh, oh, here we go. You think they're going to start to tick. Well, it's kind of the same feeling I had with PSG in that you just kept thinking like when the first goal comes, it could open the floodgates. Yeah. Um, you know, PSG got the the one and then almost immediately they got the second. And you felt like that was going to happen with Manchester City and it just didn't. Uh, I mean, we, we should mention the Raheem Sterling miss, which now goes into the pantheon Jesus. of all-time horrifying misses and i feel bad for him have we um, got a have we got a top three all-time misses that you want to do like I, um, I i can i can list some for you i mean wando's is going to be in there for us of course although i don't think i don't think it quite deserves it but it's there ronnie rosenthal against aston villa for liverpool where he's <laughs> he's gone around the keeper there's no one there and he's almost i think just at the penalty spot and the the net is empty in front of him and he hits the crossbar that's got to be that's got to be my my big one. I think. Yeah, I think um, I, I sometimes think of Fernando Torres's miss um, at Man United, and mm. I think it was Yakubu who had a miss. Um, was it in the World Cup? I'm I trying wonder. to remember. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna Google it. Um, but right. I, rem- I remember Yakubu having a miss. Well, that, what, while that you Google really that, horrifying. yeah, while you Google that, let me talk. So Gary Lineker analyzed the Raheem on BT sports analyzed the Raheem Sterling miss and he broke it down and he said, what Sterling's done is he's been too aggressive. You want to let that ball hit your foot as opposed to striking through it. Because once he struck through it, plus the little bobble that there was, it just flew over the top. Now it's interesting because remember two seasons ago when he missed that, not similar because he was diving, but that's, I think he was diving anyway, as I recall, remember that sitter he missed at Burnley where Pep, substituted him afterwards and kind of gave him to a, a talking to on how to take that kind of chance. Apparently Manchester city have been telling him to, on those chances to strike through the ball firmly. Um, and clearly that was uh, not the policy he needed in that instance. And I feel bad for him. I say that because, you know, this was always the knock on him. Like as Raheem Sterling was like, he was, you could tell he was a great player, but everybody found that hole to poke that he was not a great finisher. And it seemed like in the last couple seasons, he was past that and he mm. had proven all his doubters wrong. And that is still the case, but this reared its head at a bad moment. And in, you know, in a, in a snarky Twitter world, Oh God, it all came flooding back. Um, and, and, you know, I thought he had a really good game. I mean, he was, he was effective. Uh, he really was. And he nearly set up what would have been a brilliant goal for Gabriel Jesus, but Jesus couldn't finish on what would have been a, a, a great volley. And don't forget it, the Rodri chance in the first half where he yeah. again cuts it back to, did brilliant work, then again cuts it back to Rodri. And it's just such a weak finish. By the way, I found the Yakubu miss. Oh, God. <laughs> Is it horrifying? It, it was in the 2010 World Cup, Nigeria against South Korea. It being in a World Cup only makes it that much worse. <laughs> I'll send it. I mean, like I said, there's no. We'll post here. it. Yeah, JJ. <laughs> oh, it's really sad. Um, let's talk about Leon for a sec here as well. So I made, you know, I made the point before about how, like, they're they're Everton. It's Man City changing formations against Everton. I, I will go against myself a little bit and just remind people that it was a season cut dramatically short for Leon. Uh, they only played 28 of their 38 games. And on top of that, they were only one point out of fifth. Okay. Um, and their goal differential was actually second best 
behind only PSG. Okay. Now the gap between PSG and them is a mile, and then there's a lot of teams kind of close to one another. But Lyon, uh, I believe, were the second best goal differential. So it, it stands to reason with it with them being as close as they were to fifth, and and also close to Champions League places above that. If they finish out the season, my guess is Lyon are not the seventh best team in Liga. They're probably. I don't know, five, four, three, somewhere in that range. Hmm. Uh, still a team that Manchester City should not be changing anything that they do against. But if we're gonna, you know, if we're gonna be fully transparent here, it, it you know, I, I can't just sit here and tell you that Leon are Everton. That's not really fair to Leon. And, you know, give them full credit. They they were not afraid of this moment. We talked about that last no. week, how they, they were never going to be because of their positive history against Manchester City in this competition last year. And, you know, I think we have to give their manager credit because Rudy Garcia was go, like, go Google him and Leon. And when he was appointed, what the fans thought of that appointment, yeah. they were furious about it. And he made decisions that were not easy taking off. You know, I know Memphis Depay is coming back from an injury. Um, and may not be fully fit, but he was taken off relatively early in this game. That is arguably their best player. Uh, that's not an easy decision to make, and it worked out. It certainly worked out for them. Uh, so they they managed this moment perfectly. Yeah, and and also, you know, this is uh, this is bridging a decade. Rem- remember, there was a period in the like late two thousand, mid to late two thousands, where Leon were regulars in the knockout stages of the Champions League. They are group qualification, if not always getting through the quarterfinals. Not, they'd been in the semifinal, I think, 10 years ago, a decade ago. Um, and Lyon get a lot of criticism within France because their model is they try and hoover up as much talent as they possibly had. I mean, in the past, they've had, you know, um, players like Benzema and they get them and then they sell them on. Like there was there was the time when I thought if if they had kept all their talent together and hadn't just sold it on at hugely inflated prices and or not in the case of Benzema not inflated but sell, sold on all their talent they could have genuinely challenged to win the whole thing but that's not the way they work um, so it's um, I wonder if it's going to play out again like that next season where they're just asset stripped and all their all their top talent is taken away from them, but give them credit because they're not operating on the same budget as their um, illustrious and well-moneyed uh, PSG friends. So, you want me to you want me to run through some of the names of that Lyon team the last time they were in a Champions League semifinal? Please. It was you're right. It was a decade ago, the 09-10 season. Hmm. In net for Lyon, Hugo Lloris. Hugo Lloris was their goalkeeper. Um, let's see some of the other Kim Kalstrom. Was in the midfield. Alstrom. Uh Michel Bastos, okay, up front. Miralem Pjanic uh, was on that team, twenty-five years old at the time. Lisandro Lopez, the Argentinian. Uh, Ederson in the midfield, not not Manchester City goalkeeper. Ederson, no, different, uh, different. Ederson. Yeah, I, I got that. Uh, yeah, uh, Anthony Revelier. Yes. Oh, uh, uh, Sidney Govu also uh, thirty. What was he? Thirty-two at the time. Mm. Um, Dejan Lovren. Was on that team. What? It's got to be a different one. I, I would doubt there's that many Dejan <laughs> operating in the. I can't believe it. Uh, Ali Sissoko, uh, Bafatembi Gomis was on that team. Uh, so they had, there's certainly a, a fair share of recognizable players, and it'll be interesting to see in 10 years' time when we look back on this Leon team and, and see what these players. Um, Many of them have uh, have gone on to achieve. Yeah, no, that was Dejan Lovren. He'd been there. He joined from Dinamo Zagreb. Wow. Mm. Hard to huh. believe it. 
It seems like such a long time ago. You think that even Dejan Lovren, who's in his thirties now, that was, you know, he's th- he's only thirty one now, so it kind of yeah. makes, it kind of makes sense. But that wasn't even the team that the team that I fell in love from Leon had Hatem Benarfa in it and Kareem. Oh, well, that's that's fairly uh, well. I was going to say fairly recent. I guess it's not that much more different than that team. No, but but they just seem so potent. And uh, yeah, it's good to have them. Good to have them back. Yeah. Fun times, fun times for Leon. Fun times. I mean, that game was fun to watch because, like you said before, you were waiting for that Manchester City goal, and when it came, you kind of thought, okay, well, this this game's about to turn, and it just it just didn't. Can I can I finish with two things? Uh, yeah. Michael Cox wrote this in the Athletic. It was I thought it was kind of interesting, uh, interesting little sentence. This was not merely Guardiola's most damaging defeat of his managerial career in terms of the scale of the occasion, but the stand and the standard of the opposition. But also the first time his side has been eliminated from the Champions League because he's been too defensive. <laughs> Which is, I, I've been trying to think of his recent Champions League defeats with Manchester City. Which one, if you put yourself in the mind of a Manchester City fan, which one do you think is most painful? Um, the Liverpool one, they were overran in the first game, and 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 even though they got that early early lead in the second game, that was the eighteen the seventeen eighteen season. I think uh, I think they were just outplayed. I think City fans. I think this one, it's got to be this one. See, I, the only like the Monaco, I, the Monaco one would hurt, but that was like their first season under Pep, I think. The only reason I was thinking Tottenham was because no, because Tottenham, you can say, oh, VAR, you can, you can, but they won. Like if there were Manchester City fans uh, that night and Spurs fans that went to bed, remember um, we talked about this. Went to there were people that went to bed that night thinking that City had won, like. They scored the goal. Like yeah. They won that game. You know, and on top of that, you know, like the Yorente goal that proved to be the winner for Spurs, did it touch his hand? Did it not? There was no clear angle that VAR was using, but then there were other angles afterwards that you thought, well, maybe that was – I mean, that was – but, you know, this had controversy too with, with the second goal. I, I know, but I – I don't know. It's, it's, they, they're, they're all brutal in their own way. I, I think this one because – the highlight reel, the 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 Guardiola change of formation and tactics, the strength or depending on how you view it, not strength of the opposition, and the Raheem Sterling miss. It's got so many elements to it, and and everyone's captivated by the fact, Andrew. We don't have to think about what happened in the first leg or the second leg. This was straight FA Cup knockout football. It lives in the memory. The big upset. So that for me, for me, this weekend was the most horrifying. If you're a Man City fan. And if you were a Barcelona fan, good lord, this was this was unbelievable on on many levels. Um, uh, before we even dive fully into that game, I want to ask you a question that kind of bridges the the previous game that we just talked about with this one. Which result is is more of a shock to you, Lyon defeating Manchester City or Barcelona? Barcelona can lose to Bayern. That's that's acceptable. But for Barcelona to lose like that to anyone, which is more shocking? I, I, and now hear me out. I'm not trying to be Doctor Clever Pants. It's still the City defeat because we've seen Barcelona collapses in the past. I know they turned it round, but we've seen them lose four nil to PSG in the Champions League knockout stages, albeit again over two legs. We've seen them be three nil up and be hammered four nil by Liverpool away from home. We've seen Barcelona collapses in the past. It's the level of, con- you know, the level 
eight goals is just the standout from it. But to me, the City one is still shocking. This, I should not have been shocked that Barcelona were beaten, but it's still shocking because it was eight goals, if I'm making sense. Um, I don't actually know what your answer was there. So it was my, a- my answer is the City one is still, is, is still more shocking. Okay, you're actually wrong. Uh, that is the incorrect answer. Thank the answer you. is Barcelona. Uh, the way that they lost. Look, be, and ultimately, I mean, look, there are no wrong answers. But I, I feel that way because we've watched this sport long enough to know that on any given day, anybody can beat anybody. Like you know, Watford beat Liverpool this year. You know, like these things can happen. We've also watched this sport long enough to know. You don't score eight goals against Barcelona. You don't beat Barcelona by six goals. I mean, you mentioned them being taken apart by PSG and past game four nil, three nils. Um, yeah, this was double that. Yeah, like, as I know. Bad, th- this is for. I mean, this was so beyond anything that I would have ever imagined going into this that it's it's one of the most shocking results, not just over this past weekend, but honestly that I've seen probably in the last 10 years. But we, you would concede that the last three goals, and I'm, I'm quoting someone else here, Dan McDonald said this on a podcast. He said, the last three goals were like five-a-side goals where the <laughs> other team just wants to go home. And you yeah. just run in three and they're like, whatever. They're dead. Like, I'm not disparaging Coutinho or anything, but his goals did seem like, oh, can we just end this, please? Yes, there was definitely an element of stop, stop, they're already dead Yeah, uh, that, that went with this. And, you know, th- there is one funny thing, and I promise this will be the only time I say this. I'm going to say it now, and then I'm going to retire this sentiment forever. Oh, God. Um, so, so, Barcelona, or so Bayern Munich score early, and you think, uh-oh. And then what happens? Fortuitous or not, Barcelona come right back down, Alaba, own goal, and, well, Game on. Barcelona, they're back in it. Mm. Mulligan for that first goal. We're, let's just start over now. Right. And then, and then, most importantly, what happens after that? 90 seconds later, Semedo plays in a ball to Luis Suarez. He's one-on-one with Neuer. Now, it's a bit of, you know, it, it's bang-bang. It's a tough, a tough angle. Neuer, who's great off his line, still comes out quickly. And Suarez isn't able to kind of get it around Neuer the way that maybe he would have had he had more space. Neuer makes the save, so it's still 1-1. And then what happens just a few minutes after that? Lionel Messi goes on one of his Messi runs, gets into a Messi goal-scoring position, and just kind of scuffs the shot. Neuer's able to to make a comfortable save, and it's still 1-1. But it's just interesting because when it got to 1-1, and then those two moments happened quickly for Barcelona, you thought, Wow, we are we are in for a a game here. Barcelona have come to play tonight, and like then you like you wake up and the score is eight two, and it's just like what on earth happened here? And I promise I will never again reference that in a different universe, in a parallel universe somewhere. Barcelona converted one of those chances and went and Bayern was shook and then went on to win the game. I'll never say it again because if we're gonna play that game, JJ, Bayern could have scored twenty. Correct, right. So, but it's just, it's only interesting in that this game will for, will forever be remembered as one of the Champions League's greatest massacres. And it was, it was close to maybe going a different way. I, I agree with you. It was, um, it was a massacre as it turned out. It was stop, stop. He's already dead. But there were moments at the start of the game where you thought there was a route to victory for Barcelona and that it was going to be a basketball end to end game. But what happened was the, if you look at like, say the runs that Alaba was, um, Jordi Alba was making in behind. There were balls going over the top from a kind of a midfield position and that stretched Bayern Munich. Barcelona hardly did that again. 
They did it one more time in the second half. After that period in the first 20 minutes, they did it one more time where the ball was to Messi played Jordi Alba and who found Suarez who scored the goal. Like finding the spaces in that uh, Bayern Munich defense. Otherwise, Barcelona, withered, tired, aging Barcelona, played into the hands and did exactly what Bayern Munich wanted them to do. Munich were so good in their press, Andrew. They closed them down. There was energy. There was no passing lanes. And as I say, and as Jurgen Klopp says, sometimes your best number 10, your best attacking creative persona on the team is the turnover, is is the counter press, is winning the ball in those positions. And Bayern just exploited it. There were times where I was screaming at the screen for Ter Stegen, Boot it long. Oh, my God. And it's so hardwired into their DNA to pass out that they have completely forgot the fact they, A, don't have the players to do it anymore. B, some of the key players who you need to pass the ball and play through the lines and play through the press are too old and can't do it anymore. And C, I always say this, there are times where you have to be flexible and realize which way the wind is going. It's better to try and compete for a second ball up the field and boot it long than it is to play yourself into danger like this. It was unbelievable. It was self-sabotage from Barcelona. But, you know, I think uh, this team is, it feels like it's its dead. It's on its last legs. The Barcelona that we knew is gone. And and maybe this has been coming for a few seasons and they've got away with things, but it's over now. And I think that they've now shown that you, you can't always spend your way out of a bad situation because it's kind of, it's what they tried to do. Look, and, and I, I understand, I guess what they were doing. Iniesta is getting ready to leave. His time with the club is, is winding down. And so I guess maybe that's what precipitated the move for Coutinho thinking, okay, let's have some kind of positive, let's have a transition here that works. It didn't. You know, I mean, they're not even vaguely similar players, really. No, but I can only imagine that that was part of the thinking. Uh, I don't know. And, you know, losing Neymar, uh, never really adequately replacing him with, you know, Usman Dembele, just not the same. Yeah. Um, Griezmann, it has just not worked. For whatever reason, whether that's you know because of how the the manager is choosing to use him, or whether or it's not use of, him as the case may be, well, or in this case, yeah, I mean he came on at halftime, but you know it didn't really make much of a difference. Um, yeah, I don't know. They they're lost right now. They are they are just kind of drifting aimlessly. Um, and I know you know there are some people who will suggest that well maybe this is like maybe this is time to move on from Messi. You know. Real Madrid moved on from Cristiano Ronaldo, and here they are. A couple of years later, they've they've just won La Liga. Um, I'm not I'm not here to suggest that. I don't believe that that is uh, that that is the fix all to this situation. No, um, but if you are to move, if you are to stick with Messi, you have to put legs around him, Andrew. Like one one of the flaws in what I just said about hey, why not mix it up and go long in the way that Liverpool can go long, in the way that Bayern Munich can go long if they need to. One of the flaws in that is who are you going long to? Who's running the channels? Who's doing the work? Suarez, Andrew, when you think of the energy of the man in his early Barcelona career and his late Liverpool career, that's dissipated now. That's gone. He can't do it. He doesn't have the legs. The pastures of MLS await him. Um, Messi, that's you know, that's not the case for, for Messi either. Messi has now 
whatever pressing he used to do in his period under under Pep Guardiola, he doesn't do anything anymore. I mean, he's his movement is gone. So right there, you you, you know you couldn't even really countenance playing the ball into the channels, ex- except maybe for for your wide players who well. That didn't work out either, even in their defensive roles. Nothing was working for Barcelona at that point. So you've got to put legs in around Messi. You'd have to be, any manager that comes in that's going to work with him now is going to have to rejig that midfield. Also, they're going to have to deprogram someone like uh, De Jong. Like, we know De Jong can run forward and make, make, we've seen him at Ajax do it. We know he can pass through the lines. We know he can do all these things. He stopped doing it at Barcelona. So there's work to be done there. And this, um, But... I, uh, Graham Hunter had a good piece in where he 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 breaks down who needs to be moved on. He breaks down also something that PK alluded to. This is a bit about behind the scenes as well. Um, here's the quotes from PK, which I'm sure people have heard already, but they 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 merit a second airing. It was a horrible game, terrible, disgrace is the world is the word he told Movistar. You cannot compete like that in Europe, and it's not the first or second time it's happened to us. It's tough. It's tough, and I hope it serves for something. We all have to reflect. The club needs changes. I'm not speaking about the coach or players or singling anyone out. Structurally, the club needs all type and all type of changes because this isn't the first time. No one is indispensable. I'm not. I'll go if new blood has to come in and change this dynamic because we've hit rock bottom. We all have to reflect internally and decide what's best for the club, which is the most important thing. This was unacceptable for a club like Barcelona. Now, I don't want to be simplistic either, but there's no pace in that team. Like, look at the top teams in the world right now. Look at the pace Bayern Munich have. Look at the youth they have. Like, it's everywhere. And it's sprinkled in with experienced players who are not over the hill. That's that, like Muller and Lewandowski... Lewandowski, who are still physical players and can impose themselves on the game. Where's that in Barca, Andrew? You know, what Messi said after the La Liga um, after La Liga concluded was correct. They're weak. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's well, it, it takes well, root and branch change. And that manifested itself in a way that um, wasn't just in terms of talent or tactics. Um, the, the mental component for Barcelona, just the utter quit in them in oh, this game yeah. like I, I can you know i can live with a team that just gets beat that just is like Bayern munich i we've said now for a while we believe they're the best team in the world like you can Bayern can beat barcelona and that's okay um but for barcelona to just be seemingly like second to every ball incredibly lazy in defense you mentioned de young before the way he just allowed oh, uh who who was it to run right? yeah uh, on the goal that didn't, Alfonso wasn't gave aware of the run or either didn't care or didn't have enough juice to get in there. You know, sloppy in their passing. You talked about playing out from the back. Uh, I mean, I guess you can do that, but, you know, against Bayern Munich, you've got to be crisp if that's how you're going to play that game. And they just were, were so the opposite of that. It just It just looked like mentally this team was just not there, that their season was over, that they just were not up for this. Um, and it felt like with that attitude, uh, they could have played almost anybody and not necessarily lost 8-2, but I don't think they would have beaten anybody in this game. To to go to the positive for, for just a second, I know we'll continue with the Barcelona chat, but the performance of Thomas Muller was just unbelievable. And Andrew, I fell in love. 
I fell in love with something abstract, but something I'd like to take to dinner and get to know better. His pass for Gnabry's volley. Uh (laughs) Oh my God. If that pass were a person, right? I would take this person to the most beautiful restaurant I could. I would wine the pass. I would dine the pass. But Andrew, I would take the pass home, give it a kiss on the cheek and say, let's do this again because I respect the pass so much. It was, it was all, I mean, it was pinged into him, I think, by Tiago. And it's around the corner looping pass with enough backspin. Now, Longley does not, I mean, he had a, stinker he was awful he was awful he didn't cover himself in glory but even still what a ball that was it was just it was just wonderful and it was it was everything that summed up everything Barca weren't they had nobody apparently that could do that for for Suarez or or for Messi on a consistent basis in this game oh yeah did you say that that was Muller who set up that that goal for Gnabry yeah I I think I think it was Goretzka Ooh, but either either way, was I'm it? Pretty, I'm pretty sure. Oh my god, am I getting uh, my praise wrong? I, I mean, I know the play you're talking about. Yeah, it, the was, ball is pinged into his gorgeous. feet and it's played around yeah. the corner. Well, either and way, every made the run. Right, well, I don't trying, care who it was. I'm it's not, not trying, about the player; it's about the ball. Yeah, I'm not trying to date either uh, Muller or Goretzka. I'm trying to take the pass out for for dinner <laughs> and respect it and respect it. Thank God. Yeah, unbelievable. Just what? No, Bayern were they were like. This is they were so good, and they were for however awful uh, Barcelona were to watch. Bayern were just like the complete and total footballing opposite of it. They were tenacious. I mean, they were every. It felt like they were playing with fourteen guys. I mean, they were just they were so good. This was them at their best. Um, It's funny. Can I do it? Well, actually, but on behalf of someone else, Rafa Honigstein tweeted, and I, 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 talking about things I respect. I respect Rafa a lot. Uh, Rafa Honigstein said that he didn't even think this was Baron at top gear at their best. Ooh. What would that have looked like? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, my God. More blood spilled in Catalonia. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I mean, we, we should mention, too, because there was so much being said in the aftermath of this game. It, for, for a lot of the world, not us, uh, certainly not the CONCACAF portion of the world, but for a lot of the world, it felt like an awakening as to just how great Alfonso Davies is. Now, and I've seen him actually, well, here's my, well, well actually, I think I've seen him play better, but it was just that he was up against Semedo and it was a bullying. It was it was horrendous. The goal that we talked about for Kimmich, where he gets it on the sideline and just blazes by him. If you watch that in slow-mo or even in real time, what is Semedo doing? I mean, it's the most pathetic attempt at defending I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, I know. I saw people comparing it to uh, this was his Bale Mycon moment. Uh, like Mycon was nearly 50 when Bale did that <laughs> Uh, and in talking about, cause you said something before from the, the quote you read of Gerard PK that kind of made me think about Davies in particular, because in the PK quote, I'm going to paraphrase it, but you, you essentially said, I, he, he said, basically, I'm not talking about the manager. I'm not talking about players, something structural. And that can only be, uh, I guess, like what a lot of Barcelona players have talked about Messi mainly that, you know the president of this club, Bartomeu, that oh, there's, yeah. this, there's, a, there's a strong disconnect right now. And so uh, in the aftermath of that game, there was a quote um, 
that was kind of circulating. Uh, and I forget who it was. I'm, I'm going to read here. Um, this is from uh, AS uh, Football. Mm-hmm. Um, the Barcelona broadcaster said that Barcelona legend Christo uh, Stoichkov, oh who also works at the Univision-owned network, spoke to Bartomeu about Alfonso Davies. But since he was from Canada, he was not a fit for Barcelona. Um, here was the exact quote from this is tweeted from Luis Omar Tapia. Uh, he said, here is a, did you know, Stoichkov spoke to Bartomeu about Davies months before Bayern came on board. His response was he is Canadian. No, thanks. Oh, you, you talk about just like this small minded, small mindedness, uh, that is now kind of like suffocating that club. Like this is, that's it. Like that is it in a, in a nutshell. He's Canadian. No thanks. Wow. That's like Brian Adams walking into like Columbia Records. Brian, we love your stuff. Can you just uh just just a final thing and we'll finalize this contract. Where are you from? Oh, I'm from Canada. Out. Get out, Brian Adams. Like what's that got to do with anything? It's it's in the world Like I said, it's small-minded. In the world of like look at the way football has swung toward like data and collecting analytics and and looking at the physicality of players looking at their skill set looking at what they can do how they'd fit into your unit how do you come up with he's canadian ridiculous i don't understand just utterly ridiculous and it's you know i can imagine a barcelona fan reading that and just thinking this this is why we are where we are this this guy needs to go uh by the way again to direct you towards espn content uh, graham hunter's piece his opus on um, on this Barcelona breakdown is, is amazing. And he torches Bartomeu, just like you have there. Absolutely blazes him. And, and rightly so. And um, one of the interesting things that comes out of Graham's piece, actually, it doesn't come out of Graham's piece. Right before the game, he was asked, so what about Barcelona advancing to the semifinal? They have no chance, he said. <laughs> like, I, I tried to couch my words. Like, I fancied Bairn. Yeah. So did you. So did most people. But uh-huh. I never thought it would be this kind of napalming of 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 um, of Barcelona. Ugh. Yeah, that's the that's the right way to put it. I mean, they are they are sensational. You, Barcelona clearly right now. Or do not. you find and and you know they've always been kind of spoken in disparaging terms by other German fans and often by people like me because they're FC Hollywood, they're a super club. But do you find this? this iteration of Bayern Munich kind of likable. Yes. Yeah. And one of the reasons you find them very likable is this. But, um, yeah, we in Bayern, we have uh, Robert Levan- Lewandowski. You know, Robert Lewandowski. Thomas Muller is a gem. He is a national treasurer. <laughs> The pride with which he took when he when he said that line, thinking how uh, how funny it would be, and the fact that like there's no one there. Obviously, this is all being done over Zoom huh? press conferences. Like, there's no one to laugh at it. It's total silence. Oh, it reminded me of like the Gotham Comedy Club or some New York cellar comedy club. This guy is moved from Oregon. It's his dream. He's given up his accounting job in his father's firm to be a stand-up comic. It's the mid-80s. It's a Tuesday night. Nobody's out on a Tuesday night. And he's up the front. Hey, what's that thing about airplane food? 
<laughs> Am I right? Like Lewandowski is looking for the laughs. Lewandowski? Huh? It's so bad. Uh, and his reaction is so perfect to its badness. I, I, I can only assume that he did that on purpose. That like that was an intentional dumb joke. Yeah, I know what you're saying. But there is this, again, I don't like deal- dealing in, in stereotypes. But there's this thing about the German sense of humor. That it's not, it's, it's, it's very different to ours. And so. So you believe that there were people that like he said that. And if you just stood outside your house in like the city center of Munich, you could hear howls of laughter from across the city. <laughs> Actually, I don't believe that. I, I can't believe that. It doesn't make sense. Um, do you know what he might've been going for? There's a phenomenon and it's been pointed out by many people. And I've seen it a couple of times that footballers and managers at press conferences get the cheapest laughs in the world. It's true. That applies to every sport, JJ. Does it? It's not. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Because remember, Jurgen Klopp was asked, Jurgen, Jurgen, Jose Mourinho called himself the special one. Uh, What would you call yourself? Uh, I would say uh, I'm the normal one. (laughs) Like the place just like erupted. (laughs) <laughs> there's that german sense of humor again <laughs> yeah i don't know oh uh, i but it, uh, yeah thomas muller what a what a joy by the way so when i was younger my best friend was um he moved over from germany we were in uh i guess middle school lower school whatever you call it national school we call it and we were just kids together and um so they had all like they had access to german tv and he told me, you got to watch this comedy. It's hilarious. And it's about the, and maybe someone who knows German culture better than me can explain it. It's about this widow woman who's really old and like all of her friends are like dead, but she still has this dinner party, right? And it's filmed in front of a live studio audience. And the biggest laugh is when the waiter comes in with like a tray of drinks and he trips over like the lion's head because it's a lion's head carpet. You know, one of those. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. And, and he trips over and they're like, <laughs> they're like breaking. And I laughed the first time. I'm like seven or eight. Right. <laughs> but he keeps doing it. Every time he comes in the room, it's the same shtick. These people are falling around the place laughing. And my friend is looking at me like, ah, ah, what do you right. think of that? This is comedy gold. So maybe someone can tell me what that is. And I'm sure because of the language, I was missing other jokes too. You know, about the fact everyone is dead. I'm sure I missed that joke. Anyway, yeah, that's... <laughs> this is your German uh, cultural moment. Robert Levin, Lewandowski. Eh? 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 Am I right? So Bayern Munich. Oh, my goodness. Eight to two. They are into the semifinals. I'll tell you what. Let's take a, a quick break. When we come back, we'll uh, do a quick look at the other uh, quarterfinal from the past few days that we haven't been able to talk about yet. Uh, the the Tyler Adams quarterfinal, as it's being referred to. Uh, and we'll mention Manchester United as well. Give a quick look ahead to the Champions League games to come, uh, the semifinals to come later this week. Do not, do not go anywhere. Oh, back now. Caught offside on Monday. Beautiful Monday here in the, the New York area. Um, JJ, RB Leipzig into the semifinals now with a 2-1 win over Atletico Madrid. Tyler Adams scoring what I guess Twitter has decided is the biggest club goal ever by an American player. Um, and I, I think I think that has to be true. It's the biggest club goal in it's it's in the biggest competition. So and at the latest stage it's ever happened. So how could I mean Clint Dempsey's against Fulham 
No, no, no. Four Fulham against Juve. Sorry, four Fulham against Juve at Craven Cottage was huge, but it was in the secondary tier competition in European football. So, and I think it was the round of sixteen, also. Yeah. So that kind of no, it, it's it's this. Like when I saw, I think it was Henry Bushnell was the first person I saw tweet that, mm. and instantly my mind just started like racing through my like mental my my American brain yeah. was like sure. running overtime, um, and I think I think this has to be it. Um, yeah, and I mentioned. I feel bad that like we're not really talking about the game, but whatever. I mentioned my American brain, so I might as well keep going on that. The American brain never turns off, JJ, and I, I think it's nice when I see that in others as well, not just myself. Uh, Arthur Kogan, who we mentioned before on the show, he tweeted, "He's a nice man." uh, He tweeted between Pulisic scoring for fun at Chelsea, Sergio Dest being linked to Bayern, Juve, Barca, Tyler Adams scoring a winner in a Champions League quarterfinal. It's fun to be a US MNT fan right now. Yeah, it, it is. And, that, and that's to not even mention what we're starting to see Gio Reyna doing at Borussia Dortmund. It's fun to watch them play for their clubs. For sure. But, and it's but fun. And it's fun. It's, but it's, 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 we're seeing more than just these guys playing for their clubs. These guys are, are you know, no, like, I, especially I, with regards to Pulisic, he's thriving. No, no, you're, you're, you're taking me up wrong. It's fun to see them do so well at their clubs. And what it lends us to is imagining what that will look like when they play for the national team, but we've not seen, we've not seen all of them together in this cohesive unit for the national team. It's fun fantasizing about what that may look like for the national team. It's fun watching them for their clubs. It has not yet become fun watching the U S men's national team. Let's not get away from that. I'm still on the misery trip here. I know it's almost like these guys have now gotten to a level where I like, I almost can't even picture them playing for the U.S. men's national team. Like to me, the the U.S. men that I am now so used to, it's just like perpetually a roster of Kellen Rowe and like Lovitz and like all of these, you know, all these MLS guys. Like that's like the team we've seen over the last two years. Yeah. See Jackery Chad, Chad (laughs) Jackerson, you know, all, all these guys. Aronson Brendanson. It, it's going to be weird, by the way, when Brendan Aronson leaves MLS and then goes to Europe. And now, like, he can't, his name is so MLS guy name, but he's going to now be a, a player thriving in Europe. And, and the best of luck to him. Look, it's, it's great. It's, I'm not saying it's not great, but like you said, I, I find it hard to visualize the U.S. men's national team yet. And, 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 and I'm excited about it, though. I mean, no, it's if, awesome. if if we find a way to get all these guys into the team, you you can't tell me this won't be a good side. You just can't. Yeah, uh, no, I I feel that way uh, as well. Um, back to this game though. Uh, it's Adams who scores the winner. Granted, everybody you know was pointing out that it was a deflection. So what? Who cares? He scored a go- he scored the winning goal. Um, yeah, I was thinking about it from like the Atletico Madrid perspective. Yeah, it's just like. Griezmann leaving in the end it it killed two clubs. Yeah, I can't I can't agree with that. All right. I I I know what you mean. I totally get what you mean. I am not well, like him not being at Madrid at Atletico Madrid hurts them and him going to Barcelona certainly did nothing to help them and it cost a fortune. Right. But you've spent a fortune then on a young man called Joao Felix who is an excellent player and who changed this game when he came on. You've got to find a way to use him more. You know, you watch the way that Atleti play and it seems to me as if Simeone gets, has the aura 
that a lot of the more defensive-minded coaches have now lost, including Jose Mourinho, partly because of results. But but it just feels like he maintains this aura, and I question it a little bit because the football, you know, for $47 million a year, the football's got to be better. And you've got this gem sitting on the bench who comes on. And Andrew, he tore into Leipzig. He was, I mean, he, he, he gave this uh, attacking outlet that, Nobody else on Atletico seemed to be able to muster, and you you just you just wonder like the Simeone style hasn't evolved any further. And I, I don't know. It, it was it was totally. What are you uh, What are you driving at here? Well, are you getting bang for your buck, Andrew? Not to sound like someone who goes to Walmart, but you know, are you getting the best value for all that money? I, oh, I thought you were moving towards a uh, a big Simeone comment. No, I, yeah, yeah, that's my Simeone comment. I mean, can we not expect more oh. from him? Like, okay. the team hasn't evolved. It doesn't feel like that. And I know they knocked Liverpool out. I know they've done a brilliant job in extra time finding a way to get past the reigning champions. So credit there. But did you not think they were just turgid for long periods of that game against... Yeah. Yeah. Now, Should we- how, having said that, it's kind of... And like this is really simplifying Atletico Madrid, but that is kind of like their DNA is to sort of be defensive minded, and it's not always going to be the most like pleasurable style. I know, but I just I just wanted more. You know, yeah, I, I, I get I, it. I felt like I I felt like I'd seen it before from them, uh, but without the good results. You know what I mean? And and you know. They had that creative, that creative outlet there, and when when Joao Felix drove at that at that uh, Leipzig defense, like look what happened. I mean, it, that slaloming run for the penalty was was outstanding, and they just seemed to have a different element when he played. And without him, it was it was kind of hard to watch. Well, you really are going all in on on Portugal right now. I am. I'm all over this. I am. I, I'm telling you, that wine has gone to my brain. I wonder what Timo Werner was thinking watching that. Yeah, I wonder too. Probably hard to watch. Like, I'm sure he's got friends there, and like, you know, he's rooting. I'm sure he's rooting for them, but it, there must be a part of him that's like, I should be in a Champions League semifinal right How can now. You, I'm a, I'm a huge part of this. How like, can you feel any other way? Like, I know. And that's no disrespect to Chelsea. That's just a statement of fact. Uh, I, I, it's such a weird position that he's in. I, I actually, I, I feel for him a little bit. And well, look, he made it. It's his decision. Yeah, there was no, no one forced him. Yeah, no, but I that would have been amazing. That would have been amazing for him. He's like, you know, in football, these chances are often fleeting to to play at this level and to, to do these things. And I I questioned that decision in the end. Wow. Um, quickly now, uh, Manchester United, they go out to Sevilla. Yes. The Europa League. Um, after the match, uh, only kind of used it as a as a chance to talk about how United need more depth. Hmm. Well, he didn't need to talk about it. His substitutions made kind of a lot of comment. Uh, Mark Ogden tweeted this, biggest pointer to Man United's priorities in the transfer market was Solskjaer not making a change until the 86th minute. He has little faith in players beyond his first 11 and needs proper options on the bench. Sancho is the headline grabber, but better players in key areas are just as important. Um. I think there's two things at work here in that game, and I can get through it fairly quickly. Bono Bono had such an amazing performance, Andrew. Like on another day, United score one or two in that golden period in that second half. 
And I'm not saying Sevilla didn't play well in the spells that they needed to. They did, and they were very efficient. Um, and also, five players in a defensive position when the cross comes in from Jesus Navas and for De Jong, and Juan Basaka is wrong side. It's just a mess defensively. They should be better drilled defensively, and they're not. They just aren't. And um, that comes down to coaching as well. Uh, but, you know, that's a game United... I don't want to be disrespectful to Sevilla, but United should have gone through. You mentioned before about United's defending. You mentioned Juan Bissaka. I saw other people talking about Lindelof. You know, with United... Williams, Williams and, and, and Juan Bissaka, Lindelof as well, had not good games. Yeah, and it just kind of made me think about a bigger issue, and we should maybe bring this up on another podcast, but I'll float it to you right now. Um, You know, we talk, like, think of the criticisms that we oftentimes have of every team except for Liverpool. You know, we talk about Lindelof and Maguire. We didn't even mention a couple weeks ago uh, Varane's performance for Real Madrid. You know, he took all the blame afterwards, and, and we view him as one of the best central defenders in the world. I feel like our our criticism of almost every team when they struggle, Manchester City as well, you know, central defense. Look at their issues in central yeah. defense. Central defense, oh, they got to spend on central defense. I guess the question I have is, is, are we in a moment in time where central defense is just weak for whatever reason? Or the other part of me wonders, well, wait a minute, is it just that when a central defender, like guys all over the field are making mistakes, but when a central defender makes one, oftentimes it leads to a goal. So we magnify that much more the mistake that a central defender makes. Could, could it just be that? Are these guys really not as bad as we think? Well, we just magnify their mistakes that much more because of the problems that they can lead look, to? Varane has been great. That was an aberration. Laporte has been so good for City. Those His mistakes were an aberration too, um, largely speaking. I, I hear what you're saying, Andrew, but I'm looking at just that instance everything is wrong in that in that setup for for united uh-huh. everything yeah. defensive like this is this is schoolboy basic defending getting the right side of an attacker like navas's ball was brilliant i tweeted at jermaine genus i said guys I agree with you the defending was terrible it's like 5v1 or something to that nature or guys should have been able to cover him pick him up de young in the middle but navas's ball was so good and jermaine genus tweeted us back from the studio correct right okay fine great ball I hear what you're saying, Andrew, but I honestly believe a lot of that is coaching. You've got to coach your players. They've spent big by Lindelof and then Maguire. Like, I, I genuinely think you've got to be able to coach that defense better than they're doing right now. Uh, let's see what to watch for here. We'll stick with Europa League later today, 3 o'clock, Inter and Shakhtar. Um, they'll face one another. Inter, I guess a lot of people would probably look at them as the favorite. Um yeah, and there's pressure on them as well. It's pressure on them as well because of the money that's been spent. And uh, but again, Rafa Honigstein on the on the post game last night talking about how he loves Shakhtar, large not largely based, but based on on the players they they've acquired and the energy, the Brazilian energy running through that team. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see. Um, and then Champions League. This is a, a couple stats here that I saw that were very interesting about the semifinals. This is from uh, Fox Soccer's Twitter account. They write, for the first time since 2004-2005, the Champions League semifinals will not feature Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi. That's amazing. I mean, it just, I guess it's, I guess it's not shocking, but just like, wow, one of those two has been in every semifinal for the last 16 years. I, I think it gives us a lovely conversational break 
from what we've had for like the last decade, Messi and then be Ronaldo. And then Miguel Delaney kind of took it a step further, tweeting, uh, the last time the Champions League didn't have a semifinalist from England, Spain, or Italy was 1991, um, which wasn't yet the Champions League. No. I believe it was it, still the European it Cup. It was the European Cup. Um, it was the single tie knockout, so you'd play a team home and away. And um, there was no English team in it because Liverpool were champions and they were still serving out the last year of their extended ban, uh, which was handed down after the Heisel Stadium disaster. Can you na- Do you happen to remember who the four were? The four semifinalists. From that year? Uh, yeah. Marseille, Red Star Belgrade, um, Marseille, Red Star Belgrade, Bayern Munich, yep. and I, I'm blanking on the last one. Spartak Moscow. Spartak Moscow. There yeah, you go. Pretty good. Good job. Yep. Uh, yeah, Champions League. Tuesday, the first semifinal, 3 o'clock, RB Leipzig and PSG. Uh, and then Wednesday, also 3 o'clock, Bayern Munich and Lyon. Wow. This is so good, man. I'm, I'm actually, it's it's 10.25. I'm going to have myself a glass of wine. I think you, you, I think you have problems. I sound like a real housewife. <laughs> I don't mean um, that disparaging, by the way. I mean the show Real Housewives. I imagine that's what they do. Ah, uh, Just being clear. Just being clear. Yeah, it should be fun though. Like we said last week, this the format of this. I know the circumstances for it are are obviously what we never hope to see again. But it has kind of created a byproduct that has been fun to watch to have this Champions League played out in like a World Cup style, European Championship style, Copa America, just like bang, 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 single leg. It's been it's, it's been, been gorgeous. Great. It's been amazing, and we we will discuss the uh, the desire of some to have it remain as single elimination going forward. We will talk about that on the next pod. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because you brought up the question as as to how you decide where that game is played. Yeah, that's the big issue for me, and uh, well, the big issue is money, really. And uh, you're losing one game of TV money, so nobody's going to do that. Oh no, you're right. If anything, they may add like a third and fourth leg. Yeah, they'll do another group stage like they did <laughs> once upon a time, and there'll be ten people yeah. watching Barcelona and Newcastle as there was. Uh, so there you go. Uh, good stuff, man. These were fun, fun games to talk about. Uh, we'll be back. I think we're going to do a bonus podcast Wednesday evening. Once we know the, uh, what the champions league final will entail, we'll have the results from Tuesdays and Wednesdays matches. Um, good, good stuff. And we will, I promise we will watch the Anelka documentary. Like you had teased last week. We're going to, so it's going to be a homework assignment. We're going to make notes and we're going to break it down and we have to watch, um, we have to watch Tottenham. It's yeah, I think that's Amazon August thirty first, right? Oh, Andrew, I'm I will watch every second, and I'm I'm scared because it's not. It's just like how many times, JJ, this past year did I text you during a game and say, "Can't this season just be over already?" And now, like figures, like all these good seasons Tottenham have had, this would be that year where now I'm going to be forced to relive it oh, on Amazon I, Prime. Yeah, but your misery sometimes makes the best pod. Nah, I disagree. <laughs> I'm not I'm not here for that. All right, little dicky. Uh yes, good stuff, man. Enjoy the rest of your week. This was fun to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care, man. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 